Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Jonathan Anthony at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good evening, everybody. It's my birthday today. Oh, my goodness. Like, you know, one of the, the things that I was dreading is like, oh, I hope I'm not going to be preaching on my birthday because, like, what am I going to do? Like, hey, great, happy birthday to me. That's a bit self-focused, which is the theme tonight. <laughs> well, it is such a privilege for me to be able to share with you tonight basically the second last or the third installment of our series on the Word of the Prophets. And it's coming to an end next week. And tonight's theme is about turn from self or turning away from self. Focusing on one of the minor prophets, Haggai. When we, when we speak of self, I, I cannot kind of like avoid just thinking of the hashtag selfie. So I did a little bit of research. When did this selfie originated or started? And, and it basically started more than a decade ago when there was a drunk person that took a photo of himself and hashtag selfie. And, uh, and then it caught up and, and it became very popular on social media. And so everyone was like trying to get a portrait of themselves and selfie. And so in 2013, it made it to the Oxford Dictionary as an official word of a self-portrait of one person. Which is really the definition of the word selfie. So it's become very popular. And so to the point that... To this day, there's about 93 million selfies uploaded every single day on Android alone. 93 million selfies every day on Android alone. And when we talk about selfishness, really, it is kind of like the the default mode or the default function of every single person. Why? Because we cannot deny the fact that human as we are... We are all selfish. We are all self-focused. In varying degrees and in different forms. When we talk about self, self really is the very thing that gets in the way over relationships. Over our relationship with God, relationship with our spouses, relationship with our friends, relationship with our families, relationship with communities, with the body of Christ. More often than not, that the very thing that fractures a relationship is really self. The selfishness of people and the selfish nature of human beings. And so tonight... Our passage is found in Haggai, and I chose to preach. Uh, there are only two chapters in the book of Haggai, because uh, uh, divided into four different messages. But I want to focus on Haggai chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 2 to 15, and Michael's going to read it to us tonight. So thank you, Michael. A reading from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 to 15. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. 
You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Then Cherubabel, son of Shetile, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stood up the spirit of Cherubabel, son of Shetile, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Thank you, Michael. It is very interesting in our text that the, book, uh, the prophet Haggai was very specific in, in terms of dating some of these things. Well, the prophet Haggai basically recorded his message from the Lord and divided it into four messages and speak to the people of Israel. Eighteen years after their return from exile in Babylon, it seems to indicate that the prophet had seen Jerusalem before it was destroyed. The temple, he had seen the glory of the previous temple before it was destroyed. And, and the exile, when they came back in about 587 BC, uh, the, there was a, a word that God gave to the prophet Haggai to speak to the people of Israel. It also indicates that that Haggai was probably an older person by then at this time. The scholars estimated that he was about 70 years old, and he was able to look back. You know how some old people just kind of like say to you, oh, back in the day and the good old days, they have seen kind of some of the good things that are happening in the life of the church or in Christianity and things like that, and they're able to speak into it, you know, the, the past of what is going on and then the present. And so when the remnants, what was remained of the people of Israel from Babylon when, when Babylon was taken over and the regime had fallen. And so the remnants actually were kind of coming back and returning to Jerusalem or Israel. And one of the things that God was asking and calling the people to do through the prophet Haggai is basically faithfulness. It is about faithfulness and getting back into what is really important. Haggai's message came in a time in the people of Israel where the people were extremely vulnerable. They had been humbled uh, by their exile to Babylon. Their hopes had been shattered. As they were leaving Jerusalem, they saw that they're not just their houses that's being destroyed, their dwellings, but also the very temple, which is the center, the center of their worship, was destroyed. 
And when they came back, they have kind of like this mixed feelings about it all. Like, I wonder if my block of land is still there. The, the very land that I've inherited from my great-great-grandparents. I wonder if my house is the, what remains of, of what was destroyed. And so, of course, the very first things that they did was to, to rebuild their lives again. Now, is there something wrong with that? Absolutely not. To reestablish themselves. To really kind of like get their life back on track again. Because they came back with, uh, to nothing. Absolutely nothing. Including the temple which was the center of their worship. And God was calling the people of Israel to rebuild the temple. And so they did. They actually laid and started laying the foundation of the temple. And then they got distracted. Why? Because they experienced external opposition. Which was recorded in the book of Ezra chapter 4. So they had external opposition. And they got so discouraged. And they quit. And then the second one was more of an internal uh, opposition. Which is really... Their selfishness. Why? Because their focus shifted of the laying the foundation of the temple to not just the opposition externally, but the opposition from within. Why? Because their focus had shifted on rebuilding their own lives. Re-establishing themselves. Building their own houses. Building their paneled houses as, as the prophet have described. Now there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. What is wrong is... When you, in the process of rebuilding and reestablishing, you are neglecting what is really important. In the process of focusing on your family, on yourself, that you are neglecting on what is really important. That was the problem. The problem was not that they were building houses, that they were getting reestablished. No, the problem was, in the process of reestablishing themselves, they have neglected God through the rebuilding of the temple. And God was not pleased with that. God was not happy with that. And so God spoke through the prophet. And you know, when we speak of prophets, they're basically, they speak on behalf of God. In fact, prophets are considered the mouthpiece of God. If there is a message from the prophet, it is the word from the Lord. Why? Because they represent being the mouthpiece of God. And in the Bible, through scripture from Genesis, speaking was a mechanism of creation in Genesis 1. Everything that we see on earth came about through the spoken word of God. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 records that God spoke and it came into existence. God said, let there be light and there was light. Every time that God speaks in creation, Genesis chapter 1 It came into being. Why? Because there is so much power with the word of God. It forms the basis. When we talk about speaking, it forms the basis of interpersonal relationships. And so God, Yahweh, is not like the lifeless idols that do not speak. He is the God of revelation and he seeks fellowship and he desires communication, which is a two-way communication with his people. And he initiates and expects an appropriate response from his people. And so when he asked, gave the word to the prophet Haggai, I want you to speak to the people. It's not just speak for the sake of speaking. I want you to speak to the people because I expect a response from them. It's not like speaking and then it just falls onto dead soil. Speaking with a demand and the expectation of a response from his people. So what can we learn from this passage? 
In verse 5, I want to extract that as the basis of my, uh, of my points tonight. The Lord, uh, the prophet Haggai said, uh, the Lord said through Haggai, consider your ways. Consider your ways. So the Lord spoke and he said, consider your ways. Now this, this word consider in the Greek really means understand your ways. Reflect on the way you live. Examine your life. Evaluate what you do. Review the very things that you are doing and reassess the kind of life that you live. I want you to consider. In other translations it says, give careful thought to your ways. And God said that through the prophet twice. Consider your ways. It means, literally means, put your heart on your roads. On, on, on the path that you are walking. On the direction that you are going. Focus on your roads that is in front of you. And it's not something like consider your ways as an option or a suggestion. It was actually an imperative, meaning it is a command. They have no choice but to review, examine, and reassess how they do life. How they do things. That is the the origin and and the literal meaning of that phrase. Consider your ways. Why? Because the ways of the people have become focused on what is personal and what is physical. Their personal and physical concerns have become their priority. Their, their personal interests have become their focus to the neglect of rebuilding the temple of the Lord. It really represents the very presence and the dwelling place of God. And so God was not happy with that. Why? Because The the personal and the physical has taken over as a priority in their lives. For 70 years, the Israelites did not have a land of their own. They were living in a foreign country. So the very first thing that they did was, of course, to reestablish themselves back in their homeland. And as I said, there is nothing wrong with that. To rebuild their lives and start again. And yet in verse 6... The Lord says, you have planted, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It continues to say in verses 9 and 10, you expected much, but you see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. In other words, no matter how hard they work with their hands to provide for their basic personal physical needs. It did not bring about the satisfaction that they were hoping and longing while they were in Babylon and back in Israel and back in Jerusalem. Why? Because of their neglect in rebuilding the temple, the house of the Lord. The dwelling place of Yahweh, Jehovah. Their priorities and focus was on rebuilding their paneled houses and reestablishing themselves. You know the word paneled? It's not like a structural term. It's basically kind of like the external aesthetic of their house. How it looks. 
They wanted to make it look beautiful to the community. Look, they were probably, there was probably a level of competition who can rebuild their houses and their lives back in, uh, uh, quickly. And, and so this word panel is kind of like focusing on the little detail of their little houses to the point that it's consuming so much time. Because they were preoccupied with the details of their houses. And you know, sometimes we can, we can be kind of led astray and fall into the trap of focusing on the little detail of how we look. On the, the external facade of how we look. Without focusing on what is really internal and within If we will not give careful thought to to what we are doing and constantly examine and re-examine our priorities, it is very easy for us to get sidetracked on what is really important and what matters. The covenant we make with God has consequence of either blessing or cursing. Just this past week, a person that I know very well Worked so hard to be able to pay his mortgage, pay his bills to the neglect of God and his family and church. They don't go to church at all for years and years and years. And recently just experienced the most difficult breakup and separation. And could possibly lose everything that he has worked for. What is your priority? This week, the pastoral team and as a church, we've just been confronted with two deaths. And sometimes when situations like this happens, it really brings perspective. People that we know are just so vibrant and full of life. And now gone. And their lives, their very existence on this side of heaven is finished Whether their work is done and the call and the purpose of God in their lives is gone. But what about us who are still alive and walking on this planet? What is our priority? What is really important? Do not wait for everything to be stripped away before we run to God. We need to turn back to God. Run away from our selfish desires and turn our focus on God. Nothing was more important for the Jews than to show that the Lord was at the center of their thoughts and actions. And so Haggai directed them to finish rebuilding the temple. And I truly believe that if they did that, everything else will just fall into place. And you know, there is a good conclusion to this. That the people of God really responded positively in obedience. But let me just share with you a few verses to reinforce. In Matthew 6 25 to 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than this? And Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 4, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness... Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And sometimes our focus will be in the physical and in the material to the neglect of the spiritual. And to me, there is nothing more important than that which is spiritual. Why? I've just realized this week again that this body 
is just a shell. When our time is finished, we are gone. This is just a shell. What are we doing with it? As you give careful thought and consideration to your ways, where does your priority lie? Is God at the center of your life? The second call from God for His people is saying, consider your ways. is a bit to do of a call, a response to action. A call to respond in action or to action. In verses 7 and 8, the prophet said, go up to the mountains. Bring down timber. Build my house. Go up to the mountain. It's like a journey. It's not like a five-minute walk. Go up to the mountain. Travel. Sojourn. Follow this path and direction that God is asking you to do. Go up to the mountain. I wonder what mountain God is asking you. And he said, bring down timber. It's not just like magically bring down timber and they just kind of fall to the ground without chopping. And I'm sure they didn't have chainsaws at that time. They probably, I don't know what kind of saw they, met, they had to cut timber and trees. And it's not like in the next block of land. They have to go through the forest and find timber. And then they don't have trucks. They don't have road trains to take this timber down to the main city and the city center of, of Jerusalem. They have to do it by hand and walk. Now, how much hard work is that? When we read through and breeze through these verses, go up to the mountains, bring down timber, build my house. It sounds so easy. But if you actually examine every aspect of this action that was required, it was a lot of work. This call to action was a lot of work. It's not some kind of a a cruising, walk in the park, bed of roses type of Christianity. And you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of this very happy Christianity and all blessing and prosperity and favor of God to the neglect of really the real hard work of serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is hard work involved when you respond to the Lord, when you respond in obedience to the Lord. There's always hard work. And you know, sometimes as ministry leaders, like yesterday at our appreciation breakfast, I made sure that the people that I talked to and I sat on almost every table and I said, you know what? Uh, As part of the ministry leaders of this church, we just want to thank you for what you do in this place. Why? Because it is the very reason when people work, when people serve, when they people get involved, that the whole body functions really well. Amen? It won't function when you just come breeze in and out and you don't lift a finger to be part of this place. In the Philippines, we have a culture that if you are a visitor, you're not allowed to do one thing on your first day. One, not even like bring your dish to the sink. No, you're not allowed to do that. The host will do that for you. But after you've slept one night in a Filipino home, let me tell you, you have to pick up your game. You have to help. You have to behave like you are part of the family now. You are no longer a visitor. You are no longer a stranger. You are part of our family because you have slept in our house. 
And so therefore, there is expectation to you, for you to do something and help out with the chores. Even like volunteering, say, let me do the dishes. Let me set the table. There's nothing worse in a Filipino home, second day, third day, fourth day, and the guest just sits there and waiting to be fed and served. And that's the very time where the host will feel, you have overstayed your welcome, my friend. Time for you to move on and leave. No, we don't say that because it's a bit rude. But what I'm saying is this. That if you feel that this is your home, you are part of this place, you are part of this family, and you are part of this community, I challenge you, work. Help out in the chores of the house. Do something, even just one thing. Do something. There's always something that you and I can do so that the body will function well. Why? Because to respond in obedience to God requires hard work. Pope Paul VI said, All life demands struggle. Those who have everything given to them become lazy, selfish, and insensitive to the real values of life. The very striving and hard work that we so constantly try to avoid is a major building block in the person we are today. Now, none of us are perfect parents, but... As a young parent, when we were kind of like, had the kids you know, really little and all that, we try and give them chores around the house that is according to their ability and capacity. You know, I, I remember when, when Jacob and Gabby are able to dress themselves. We were so excited. What a relief. They can do it themselves. And then it builds into, after you finish with your cereal bowl, take it to the sink. That's absolutely within their capacity to do. And then the chores becomes heavier and heavier. And now maybe you'd stack the dishwasher, Gabby. Oh, empty the, the lower part of the And it always has to be equal. You know, like, oh, it's not fair if I'm just always emptying the dishwasher. Anything that they can do. And the moment they stop doing any chores in the house, Janelle and I will just look at each other. You know what? Your mom and dad work so hard. And if we do everything in this house, it's not going to function very well. We have to help out and contribute so that we will function well as a family. And in the church, it's the same. And you know, when people obey and respond in obedience to the Lord, amazing what will happen. Let me give you a few examples. Mother Teresa, in 1928, she was only 18 years old. Teenager. How many of you are 18 years old? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. 18-year-olds. Yeah, you've got one, two, three. Mother Teresa was only 18 years old when she went to Ireland to join the Sisters of Loretto. And at the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary, a community of nuns that has missionary work in India, Mother Teresa responded and six weeks later went to India and worked as a school teacher in Calcutta. She dedicated her life in India as a teenager. Hudson Taylor was only 17 years old after uh, reading an evangelistic pamphlet entitled Poor Richard. He professed his faith in Christ and in December 1849, he committed himself to going to China as a missionary, as a teenager. How incredible is that? William Carey was a young adult. He was 25 when he started his ministry and seven years later at the age of 32, 
went to India as a missionary and revolutionized the education and the communities of India that he served. Kerry was actually known as the father of modern missions and was also known for his very famous quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Billy Graham came to know the Lord at a revival meeting at the age of 16, then became the world's greatest evangelist, spoke to 215 million people in live audiences over 185 countries. Graham has been credited with preaching to more individuals than everyone else in history, not counting additional millions that he has addressed through radio, television, and through the written word. And he died on the 21st of February, last 2018, at the age of 99, just one year short of 100. These people, teenagers, changed the course of history, transformed the lives of people, individuals, and communities because they responded to the Lord and was prepared to obey no matter the cost, and they were prepared to work. How are you going to make your life count? For the kingdom of God. Are you going to continue living the selfish way? What legacy will you leave behind? In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, Paul said, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one is escaping through the flames. Just made it to heaven. Oh, I just made it to heaven. Are you going to be happy with that? You see, the way that the Lord will test our work is basically through that, what Paul is saying. And my question and my challenge for all of us, myself included, is when everything that we have done and we will do for the Lord will be tested by fire, I wonder what will be left in our hands. Will it be like straw or hay that when it's tested by fire, all we end up with are just ashes? Or will it be the kind of work that is like gold and silver that when it is tested by fire, it is able to withstand and in fact it will even come out shiny, more, more, more polished and more, more brighter than gold when it is tested by fire. That is basically the choice that you have. Whether you want to invest your life, your time, your talents, your skills in things that are straw and hay or will you invest it in gold and silver. The third consideration is this, and I've added this, it's not in the scripture, but I just feel that it is there. Consider God's covenant promises. It has a bit to do with blessing and cursing. Yahweh's lack of blessing is directly related to the cursing and blessing formula found in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and chapter 28. Why? Because covenant in biblical terms is an agreement between God and His people in which God makes promises to His people and usually requires certain conditions in terms of how they live their lives and how they will respond to that covenant. It wasn't given with zero expectation. The covenant was given. This is God 
God's part to this, to this covenant and you have your part to this covenant. Read Deuteronomy 27 and 28 in your own time. And you will see there that it's directly related to the blessing and the cursing. And in this case, the drought, the no harvest and everything like that was directly related to the cursing formula in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, I'm not saying that everything bad that is happening to you is caused by God. No, it's not. Because in this case, it's not caused by God. It's caused by the response of His people. It is triggered by the negative, the the lack of activity in His people. And so in Haggai chapter 2 verse 5, it says, This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And the promise is this. Chapter 2 verse 8. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be even greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. There's nothing more important for the Israelite people than experiencing the shalom of Yahweh. The peace of God. Why? Because they have been experiencing wars, being taken over, under siege, killed, and and taken captive. That's not peaceful at all. And Yahweh's promise is that when you listen, when you obey, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. And you know, in our lives, day-to-day things, day-to-day battle, as Mia alerted to us, that there's just so many things, we're so busy, and sometimes we don't experience that kind of sense of peace. And I think it's important for us to then review, examine, and reassess are my priorities you know, going in the wrong direction or what? What is it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God does not give us everything we want, but He does fulfill His promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to Himself. I wonder what it is that God is calling and is asking you to do. God is not asking us to rebuild a physical temple but rather a spiritual temple. God is asking us uh, as a body of believers, as followers of Jesus, the church is the New Testament representation of that temple. And if you look at it in a more personal level, not just the collective corporate level, if you look at it from the more personal level, your body and yourself is a personal representation of that temple. Why? Because Apostle Paul said that you, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to pay attention in, in rebuilding. If it is all shattered and it's all broken, it's all in a mess, why don't you focus on rebuilding that spiritual temple, which is yourself? Invest time in yourself. How are you investing in rebuilding this this, uh, spiritual representation of the temple of God in your personal life? How are you prioritizing and making that you are investing that which really mattered to God and what is important to Him? And perhaps it's really time now to examine, to evaluate, to assess and review our ways. And listen to the call of God and say, give careful thought, pay attention, consider your ways. As we come to a time of communion, it is just such a a beautiful thing because Jesus instituted two sacraments in the New Testament, which is communion and baptism. And last week, 
we have the opportunity of witnessing baptism of our brothers and sisters. We've got Carlin here serving, and we've got Langya and Matthew last week. It's just so beautiful and encouraging. And tonight, we get to celebrate communion, the very thing that Jesus left behind so that every time we do this, we remember him. And, and I feel that in the light of our message tonight, if there's anything that you want to focus and remember, remember on the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me. And so on the night when Jesus was dining and fellowshipping and eating with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks. And he said to his disciples, take this and eat each one of you because this bread represents my body broken for you. And in the same breath, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this and drink and remember me. And tonight as we partake of the communion, eat from the bread and drink from the cup, let us remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And may that will uh, trigger in us a trajectory in our lives where we say, Lord, just as you were obedient to the cross, even to the point of death, you may not require me to die, but Lord, here I am. I want to be obedient to you too. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your son Jesus, and we thank you for the sacrifice, Lord God. And Father, we just pray that tonight as we partake communion, that we will take the time to reflect on the obedience of Jesus, that we may receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. I ask, Lord, that you will bless each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.